Robin. So what's your favorite King adaptation? Or King story in general? I'm gonna have to say Carrie. Fair. I know it's super popular, obviously, but I follow the belief system of something's popular for a reason a lot of times. Not sure. all the time. No, but yeah. But um, I also just think personally Carrie is, is so popular because it's an outcast in high school gone terribly wrong. Sure, yeah. Right? Like, and I think, so it's relatable right off the bat. Yeah. Most people have been to a school, right? Mm-hmm. Most people have had those social dynamics and experienced that. So you either were a Carrie or you knew a Carrie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but then it just, it, it is it is a cautionary tale. It goes horribly wrong. And so that makes it easy for people to grasp. But on top of that, if you want to go deeper, it is a very nuanced story. There, There is a lot to it that it's available to you if you want to be a nerd about it, just like me. You know, there's this whole... Um, theme of uh religious trauma obviously yeah um there is familial abuse in yep. it that is fueled by the religious trauma uh so it, there there are all these little nuances and messages in Carrie that I think sometimes go overlooked which is also just totally fine because on the surface it's also just a great adaptation yeah works for me <laughs> what about you uh my answer is just as boring, but just as correct, and is in the same universe as Carrie. It's The Shining. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are... I, I like Shawshank fine. I like The Green Mile fine. You know, I, I watched the original It when I was a kid. I liked the, the first of the new ones, but I just, you know, it's The Shining, and it's, it's for... Similar reasons. I think the storytelling is really well done. Kubrick is a no-miss for me. Um, I haven't revisited Eyes Wide Shut, so I'm not totally sure about that. But everything else I've seen from him, I'm like... Oh, and... Oh, sorry. I don't like Lolita. Lolita, But Mm. (laughs) he's a near no-miss for me. Okay. Which is a boring answer, because, like, yeah, Kubrick is generally regarded as the greatest director of all time. Yeah. But I think the performances in... The Shining are great. I think the way he took the story and what he did with it was really good to adapt it to film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think those two are the the most correct answers. Yeah, I mean, and I think Stephen King is. I will. I'll talk about this later. But uh, Stephen King is the worst judge of his own work. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what's good about it and what's not. My favorite, okay, so this is just like a complete sidebar, but it is related because it is Steve, Stephen King. So during um, the dark years of when Trump was president, um, I loved following Stephen King on Twitter. Oh, yeah, he talked a lot of shit. <laughs> he did talk a lot of shit, and I just, I, I, oh, I will always remember one where he... He didn't name Trump. I think he was very good about, like, not putting his name in there, but everyone knew who he was talking about. Because if you put the name in there, then it's just going to boost the popularity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, on, on the algorithm of Twitter, anyway. Um, but he just said, he just kept saying, like, only someone with the sickest, most twisted mind would, you know, do all of this stuff. And I was just like... That means something when when Stephen King, the writer of It, 
<laughs> and The Shining and Carrie and all of these things says that about you. Yeah. One yeah. of the most popular horror writers. Yeah, it's funny. Um, <laughs> Who so, has explored those things. <laughs> <laughs> significantly, yeah. yeah. I was uh, reading about The Shining because we, we, we recently rewatched it. Yeah. And like we've said before, we're never going to cover that movie. I have nothing to add to the conversation. I mean, it's about been talked. Movie. It's been talked to death. Every every angle has been covered. There's multiple books on it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's a, the Shining is his third, right? It goes Carrie, Salem's Lot. I think that I think we're was Carrie's first or second. Anyway, it, 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 his first two were Carrie and Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. and then The Shining, right? And he wasn't sure what he wanted to write when he was about to write The Shining, and when he finally came up with the idea, his uh, publisher, I think, was like, "Well, if you do, you really want to do this book because that's just going to get you like in this uh, like build as a horror writer. Like, you'll, no one's going to think that you're anything else." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh no, that's a compliment." Yeah, like, so, I would yeah. like to be in this community. <laughs> so um, he's he's always been kind of a, a shit talker. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched The Mist. Oh, I do. The 2007 Stephen King adaptation from Frank Darabont. Not to be confused with The Fog. Or The Fog. (laughs) So confusing. There's so many The Fogs. (laughs) I'm Nicole. I am Topher. And we're the Horror Babes, here to bring horror beyond spooky season. We miss it so much. It's spooky season every season for us. So, And in case you are new here, we're going to be... Doing the normal format, which is Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then he'll pass the ball to me, and I will take us through the plot, and then we'll both be sharing the ball in our analysis portion where we will discuss said plot. That's all correct. Yeah, I don't know if I liked my ball analogy. I'm probably never going to say it again. It's fine. Oh, no, I like sharing the ball. So, (laughs) without further ado, Topher... Besides Stephen King, who made this thing? It wasn't John Carpenter, I can tell you that much. That's uh, the fog. That's the fog. Yeah, this was um, this is written and directed. Well, obviously, the the novel that it's based on is Stephen King, as we said up top, and it was written. The screenplay was written and uh, directed by Frank Darabont, who has done so many King adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's done you know a, he's done three Stephen King adaptations mm-hmm. uh, and three or two of the most uh, lauded ones because it's. Shawshank and Green Mile. Mm-hmm. He also famously create like helped create uh, or he developed the uh, the Walking Dead series. Yeah, which is still running somehow. <laughs> My mom loves the Walking Dead. I watched the first season. Um, I read some of the books for a while. I like the writer. I just um, I'm not whose name I'm blanking on right now, but I just sort of yeah. I don't know. I I have a hard time sticking with TV shows. Well, it can be overwhelming when they, like, if you get behind, and then all of a sudden two seasons or even a whole season is, one season is passed, and then you're just like, well, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, like, a friend and I share this. Um, I don't, I tend not to watch series when they're coming out. Same. Because I just will, I will forget and fall off. Like, the only thing I've ever kept up with is Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't think I've really... From start to finish. Yeah, Which hasn't finished, but I don't. I mean, I was good about watching um, Westworld as it came out, but that was because I had like a standing um, uh, 
thing with like friends where I would go over there and we would watch it together. When Game it of came Thrones out. is that, yeah. Yeah, I had to catch up on Game of Thrones. I want to say I had to catch up on the first four or five seasons, and but I was good about doing that. Like I watched two a day, and then yeah. I was caught up. I had a I had a bad flu, and I just, yep. or a strep throat or something like that, and I watched the first three or four seasons in yeah. like, oh, the week that I was sick and like in bed. And then beyond that, I actually followed it to the end. Um, yeah, but I didn't st- watch it start to finish, right? So no. that was Westworld I fell off of because it got shitty really fast. <laughs> Such a good idea, but yeah, the execution was Such a good little... acting, but the writing mm-hmm. is terrible. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I got to watch all of uh, Breaking Bad after it was all said and done and somehow didn't have any spoilers. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. I know. Look at me. I'm just not on Twitter. Well, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, now <sorry. laughs> back to the <laughs> back to the movie we are talking about. Um, we have starring in it Thomas Jane, mm-hmm. a pretty well known character actor, middle of the road handsome man. Yeah. Um, as David Drayton, our protagonist, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ever amazing Marsha Gay Harden. Yep. As Miss Carmody. Always happy to see her. Yep, I love her to death. She just brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person who brings me joy, Lori Holden as Amanda Dunfrey. Mm-hmm. She, uh, if you don't know Lori Holden, you should. She's a very good actor, but uh, most known, I think, from The Walking Dead. Yeah. Another person I always love to see. Like this, this cast is actually one of my favorite casts of it that it, we've ever covered. It surprised me. It's like, as good a cast. It's nearly as good a cast as the movie that came out the same year, Sunshine. Yeah, like every single time someone new, a new character came in, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a bunch of character actors, yeah. which is my favorite way to cast things. Uh, but yeah, Andre Brower is in here, famous mm-hmm. from Homicide and currently Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That was, I think, the biggest shocker. I was like, yo. What up? <laughs> I was like, hello. So uh, so Toby Jones, who's also in this movie, is Ollie. He's fantastic. He, Toby Jones is one of the greatest living actors, mm-hmm. right? Like he just slips into a role. Right. And he always looks the same, but um, this week I have watched two different things that also starred Andre Brower and Toby Jones. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I was watching, I recently watched the uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse movie. Nice. The animated one with um, uh, Summer Glau as Supergirl. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was catching up on uh, the what the Marvel animated What If series mm-hmm. that's been coming out on Disney Plus, and Toby Jones is in that as Arnim Zola. Nice reprising his role there so i was just like i was laughing i was like looking at the cast when i was about to watch or as i was watching this I was like i have l- heard both of your voices already in the last like three days mm-hmm. <laughs> uh william sadler as jim mm-hmm. he's so good too like, he's um he's a big part of uh green mile yeah um hayworth or something like that i think is his name in that jeffrey demon is dan miller the incredible Frances Sternhagen as Irene. Mm-hmm. I love her. She's. I kept calling her Bernie Sanders last night. Chris and I kept yelling, <laughs> it's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Alex Davalos as Sally, the uh, the checkout girl. Chris Owen, the Shermanator himself, as Norm. Norm. <laughs> and Sam Witwer, Darth Maul himself, as Private Jessup. Sweet. So... That's kind of our cast. That's our that's our main cast. We do have a lot of people in here, but it's just a, it's mostly just filled out. Um, this was the music is from uh, Mark Isham, the director of photography. I'm going to shout out because I've got a I've got a lot of things to say there. Uh, is Ron Schmidt, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about the editor as well. So Hunter M. Via. Just to say it, this was a Weinstein joint, mm-hmm. um, which is surprising because the editing is so <laughs> not there. And he supposedly was Mr. Hackjob, but anyway, um, it had a budget of uh, eighteen million. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah we're going to talk. Yeah, we uh, are. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, budget was eighteen million. It got it made fifty seven point three back. So you know, triple back. Mm-hmm. Came out yeah, November twenty first, two thousand seven, and it is a long one hundred and twenty six minutes. Mm-hmm. There was Darabont had wanted to shoot it in black and white because he wanted to, it to feel more like um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, but uh, the. That just did not go over. So they yeah. uh, they they released it cinematic. The the theater version is color, but there was a uh, there's a DVD and Blu-ray version of it that's uh, black and white. And Darabont says that's his preferred version. I I just have a feeling that there is no way that that would make this movie better. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I I I I'll save my my opinions for later. Um. I've already said a few of them, but for now, why don't you uh, tell us what happens in the movie? Put me in, coach. (laughs) Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Put me in. Okay, so we're in Maine. Shocking. Shocking. (laughs) Fucking shocking that we're in Maine. Bridgeton, Maine. Stephen King story set in Maine. (laughs) He loves Maine. It's... it's, (laughs) Sorry. I don't know why that's so funny. I don't either, but it is. So we have our artist, David Drayton, his wife, Stephanie, and their eight-year-old son, Billy. They take shelter in the basement of their lakeside home during a severe thunderstorm. Yikes. Oh, so I just am going to jump in real fast. I'm stealing the ball. Um, I like like this ball metaphor. It's fun. So I'm watching this with Chris last night, right? And we... uh, we look at we're watching we're looking at because David Drayton's a painter, right? Mm-hmm. And he has all his paintings on the wall. One of them is the the, the poster for the thing. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's on the left. It's it pans over, and then the painting he's doing is the gunslinger from the Dark Tower series. Oh, it's just like a bunch of nods. Only you two nerds would know that. Yep. But I appreciate you pointing it out. That's us. <laughs> So, basically, the next morning, they're like, whoa, shit's broke. So, they notice... There's a whole-ass tree in our house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole Shit, ass tree. bro. <laughs> what the fuck happened last night? And Andre Brower's Mercedes is smashed. Oh, man. So, they're checking things out the next morning. And then they notice this foggy, thick mist is over the Not lake. a fog, a mist. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I don't... What is the, like, scientific difference? Mm. Is fog more like... I would say that this is not a mist. This is a fog. Mist, to me, is like... Mist is like... Like a mister, right? What like comes you, from yeah. a spray bottle. Yeah. Or, like, you know, like, it's 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 all water, just small. God, Stephen King. Get... <laughs> <laughs> Read a book, Stephen King. <laughs> and fog is, like, more like vapor. Right? Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not a, a scientist. I'm not a water scientist. I'm not a fucking scientist. I'm not a weather person. Um, I like sun. That's it. <laughs> I know, which we're really lacking this week. I need Welcome that. to Horror Babes where we talk about the weather every week. I need that vitamin D. David and Billy go to town with their neighbor Brent. Go to town. Go to town. With, I gotta stop. <laughs> um, Brent Norton to buy supplies. Everybody's always just saying, like, I need supplies. What the fuck do you need? What are you going to do? Oh, it's because the power's out and the fr- everything's going to spoil in the fridge. So he's going to get, like, uh, dry food and canned food. So we're at the market, 
and they see all these police cars speed down the street, and then then we meet a terrified civilian. I just, I had to say that phrase. I'm sorry. <laughs> a terrified civilian. Trademark. That's me. Um, but in this movie, it's Dan Miller. He runs into the store, and he's like, there's danger lurking in the mist. Well, he's got blood all over his face, too. Like, he... He's he's bleeding. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes, he has blood all over his face. He's very disheveled. He's been through something. The, uh, the mist. Danger's lurking in the mist. It is. It lurks. And then we start hearing a siren, and the store manager is Ollie Weeks. What a name, Ollie Weeks, and Bud Brown close off the supermarket. So they basically go into like a lockdown situation in the supermarket. They're like nobody's leaving the store this we don't know what's going to happen the mist pretty much envelops the store which again doesn't seem possible scientifically to me but right, here we are here we are maybe it's not a scientific mist you know yeah i'll suspend my disbelief it's fine this is all make-believe anyway so <laughs> what i thought this was a documentary <laughs> god so norm is like i'm gonna go fix the emergency generator but then he's grabbed by this tentacled creature. Oof, this kill is rough. Yeah, and dragged into the mist. Because it fucks up his leg, it rips off his part of his chest, and like they're trying to save him, and then he just like gets slipped out, and there's blood. Yeah. So then David and Ollie tell the customers to barricade the storefront windows, but one woman leaves to go home to her children. There's always that always happens. She's um, like, I've my kids, and like I mean, everybody's like. No, stay here. She's like, no, I have to go back to my kids. Like, they're yeah. small children. Yeah, they there's no, they have no chance against the mist. So what I love about movies set in, like, a town is that you always have, like, the different tropes, right? You yeah. have, so we've got the religious fanatic now, Mrs. Car- uh, Car- Carmody. Um, she starts preaching about an impending Armageddon. Like in our town, our town that I'm going to call Washington Heights, we have the Washington Heights preacher. We yeah, have we. You he often features on the podcast. Yeah, you can often hear him if you turn your volume up very, very loud. You can hear hear him or his um, girlfriend. <laughs> um, his Tammy Faye. Yeah, exactly. So we've all we've we've all got some some characters. And to to fill these tropes. And then you've got your small group of skeptics, led by Brent to leave the store to seek outside help, which, what happens to skeptics in horror films? They fucking die. Yup. So, goodbye. Just go ahead and believe, y'all. Yeah, just do it. I'm an atheist in real life, but I am a true believer, believer in, in horror, horror films. films because, yeah, yeah the, the, um, the lore is, if you don't believe, you're gonna die. So, just believe, you know? Yeah. Just bite that bullet. Just do it. Um, <laughs> just do it. Oh, my God. I'm obnoxious today. Um, anyway, David forms connections with several people in the store. He meets Amanda Dunfrey and Irene Repler, who are two teachers who came in, into conflict with Mrs. Carmody over her religious zealotry. Um, yeah, they they're she. <clears throat> so there's one thing that I was like watching this last night and I was going. Why is there so much sexual tension between David and Amanda? And mm-hmm. Chris's theory is that they were high school sweethearts. Okay. Um, I know in the novella they do they weirdly like they fuck in the supermarket. Eh, 
That's kind of hot. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, it was. I was what, just. What section? I, I think it know. depends on the know. section. I don't know. If it's next like, to the Takis, then yeah. Like the chip aisle, dope. Yeah. Um. By the snacks. by the fish or the cheesemonger, not so much. Yeah, not not so happy. Uh, yeah. The frozen section, uh, odd choice, but okay. Yeah. At least it's not smelly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I was just surprised. Like, it seems weird because he's so concerned about, he, like, almost immediately forgets about his wife once he's at the supermarket, you know? Yeah. She's kind of just written off. Like, she's there and then mm-hmm. she's gone. High school sweethearts make sense to me. Like a past love. Yeah. Or they're having an affair. That's what I was reading. Oh, Maybe. That's what I was reading, so they're having an affair. There's definitely tension, though. You're you're definitely correct. So, Amanda has a revolver in her purse and gives it to Ollie, who is a former regional shooting champion. Yeah, he is. Conveniently. And um, it starts to get dark, and um, we see these, like, giant, like, insects. They can fly. They yeah. have wings and stuff. They're attracted to the lights, you know. Most bugs are. They swarm in front of the store and are preyed on by... Fucking pterodactyls. Yup. Actually, I believe it's pronounced pterodactyl. Oh, possum. Don't put letters there if I can't use them. So then one of these creatures smashes a window and so the insects can get inside. And then everyone's like, run around panic. Two people are killed. Another is burned to death in an attempt to incinerate the insects. We're just like, we're fighting against like 12 different things and we just have no hope. And Mrs. Carmody, while all of this is happening, she's miraculously spared from an insect. And this makes her, of course, being the religious zealot that she is, makes her think that, like, she's a chosen one somehow. Yeah, she's and the so, prophet now. And yeah. people start following her, yeah. Yeah. Um, dangerous. So then a small group led by David goes to the neighboring pharmacy in search of medical supplies. We're just trying to get some supplies. Why we don't already have the supplies, I don't know. Um, but then he's attacked by giant spiders that kill two men. And then he's like, we got, we, we gotta go. Gotta Gotta get the fuck out of here. Fuck this shit, I'm out. And then (laughs) Mrs. Carmody, who had, who was like, no, I don't think we should do this. She. It's not God's will. Yeah, exactly. Um, uses this failure to increase her influence by offering protection from divine wrath to new converts scary like all of this like crazy shit is happening outside and then you've got a crazy bitch in the store Mm -hmm. like this this is horror on top of horror right now she's starting a cult she is she fully is so then the next day following suicides of two soldiers from the military base the local military base uh there's a third soldier named jessup that's yeah sam whitwer who's Mm -hmm. in a relationship with uh sally or whatever her name is yeah he reveals this like spooky government project to discover other dimensions that this was what was happening at the military base and that scientists may have opened a doorway into a dimension containing the creatures invading the town. So we've seen this a lot just in different settings. This is a very typical horror device, horror uh, plot line. Yeah. Um, what was the one in space that we just did that had this? Where um, oh. Event Horizon. Yes. Yeah. Event Horizon. It's, it's similar to that, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Um, so anyway, Mrs. Carmody's followers offer Jessup as a sacrifice. Of course, see, this is where this shit gets wrong. Yeah, someone stabs him in the gut and like people are like screaming for him to not. Yeah, and then he's immediately devoured by this praying mantis creature. This is also kind of like... So much biodiversity. I know. This is also like, um, what's it called? The, the 90s movie 
with the bugs. Um, Arachnophobia? No, 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 no. We covered freaks. it. We colored. We, we covered it um, with the blonde lady. Yeah, mimic. Um, there's always a science experiment or a government-led thing gone wrong, right? Yep. Fuck science. Yeah, and clearly I can't think of names of movies today. Just that part of my brain's gone. Um, but it anyway, it could be that there's a giant knife sticking out of it. Oh, I didn't even notice. I'll I'll take care of that later. Um, so then the next morning, David and his group prepare to leave the store, but are stopped by Mrs. Carmody. Mrs. Carmody, get the fuck out of the way. Yeah, she's she just wants, here she, to she like wants the boy. She's like, <sighs> we must sacrifice the boy. She's just here to cause so much chaos that just stresses me out to no end. Um, but anyway. Yeah, like you said, Billy, she's like, he's our next sacrifice. But then Ollie is like, I'm over your shit. So he shoots her and kills her. And then right as she dies, it's it's almost like she had like people under a spell. So the second that she dies, all of her, you know, quote unquote followers kind of come back to their senses. They start shaking it off. Yeah. They allow everyone to leave. Um, did you see the pose she was in when she died? She's fully, like, on the cross. Of course. Yeah. We we get that in Carrie. See, I can remember names of movies. Um, <laughs> that's... Um, that's also in there when the when the mother dies with Carrie. Um, with the knives. With yeah, the knives. She crucifies yeah. her. Yeah. Yes. So, outside, Ollie and two others are devoured by the creatures, and Bud runs back to the store. David, Billy, Dan, Amanda, and Irene reach david's car so we're thinking that they're like good to go they're they're driving yeah. through the and ollie mist. like sacrifices himself too yeah it's his, and he's ollie's the real hero of the story agreed big fan driving through the mist david finds his home completely destroyed stephanie's dead he's devastated he drives away from town he passes this colossal six-legged beast and eventually runs out of gas he has no means to escape the mist. Obviously, he ran out of gas. And everyone just decides to um, end their lives. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to shoot all of them and then himself. Yes. Yeah, so David shoots Billy and then the three other survivors with his four remaining bullets before. Of course, there are only four left. Like, this is such yeah. Shakespeare. It's, it's <laughs> this is so Shakespeare. It's West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many, Chino? God, I'm going to make myself cry. But yeah, no, it's it's a very it's a good moment. Like it's hacky, but it's not like sometimes things that are hacker are also kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, I mean it's the it's the fun thing about movies. Part of them are predictable, and then part of part of them aren't. You know. Yeah, so. I'm down for it. But him, him just like clicking through with the trigger with it in his mouth mm-hmm. and screaming. Yep. Then he leaves the car to be taken by the creatures. Yeah, he's like, "All right, let's go eat me." The mist suddenly just dissipates, like. It, or it, it doesn't really, it's not even sudden, but it does start like loosening up. Sure. But then it reveals the vanguard of a U.S. Army armored column that is in the process of exterminating the creatures and restoring order. Seeing that they have also rescued those from the store, including the woman who left to get her kids, David realizing that he killed his son and friends for nothing and that they were just moments away from being rescued, drops to his knees, screaming in anguish over what he has done. That's the real psychological horror here, right? Yeah, so that's that's a change from the original ending. The original ending is much more hopeful. Like, he uh, he's scanning the radio, yeah. and vaguely hears Hartford mm-hmm. over it. Like, it's, like, barely there sort of thing. So it ends on a hopeful note. He's like, oh, Hartford. That's I can get to Hartford. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one's bleak. 
<laughs> it really is. And I will say I like I like this story. I like the tragic ending. Structurally, the story is good. It is solid. I think just about... And the cast is good, too. But I think mm-hmm. just about everything else sucks. So, I've got a lot of... <laughs> I got a lot of feelings and you people are going to hear about them. <laughs> this is our podcast. So. <laughs> so this is the ugliest movie I've ever seen. It is. It's not, that's not actually true. But this is the ugliest mass market, major market movie I've ever seen. Yes. This, this movie is, again, aside from the story and the cast, is abysmal. Yeah. It's terrible. So the dialogue is actually solid. I was watching it with that eye last night. The dialogue's yeah. not bad at all. It's not. It's something to write home about. Like, there's not like it's not yeah. clever. It's not quippy, but it's not supposed to be. But the the lines do what they're supposed to do. Totally, and I'm sure that came from the book. And we know that Stephen King is a is 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 a solid writer, a solid enough writer. He's very good with story. Yeah, and he's pretty good with characters. Yeah. Um, but let's let's go one by one, I guess. So I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna talk some shit on the cinematography for a second. It looks like a Lifetime movie. It. So what it is is um it's the Abrams zoom. Yeah, what the fuck is that? So here's the here's the thing. So JJ, sorry, Abrams I'm getting is, mad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so there's it's it's there's another name for it, but I've always known it as the Abrams zoom. So JJ Abrams, right? Yep. The thing is, he does it. He'll switch from like steady cam to like hand cam, mm-hmm. and it works for what he does because he does it at distance, right? Yeah. This is doing it in close. When we were in the supermarket Random zooms for the in first and time, zooms out. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have no, there's no point to them. It's yeah. just a cinematographer who doesn't know how to operate a camera. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it is. That's, that's, it's, that's literally all it is. Like, this is just, it's just bad cinematography. It's terrible choices. It's making choices when choices didn't need to be made. Right. It's overstepping what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. when you shoot a bottle episode. And that's what this is. This is a bottle episode with action, action sequences, right? Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, what a bottle episode is is when you bottle everybody up in one spot and it's all intense uh, per- interpersonal drama. Mm-hmm. So it's an in- it's a bottle episode inside a horror film, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the, the real drama of the story comes from is the interpersonal things that are going on. It's Mrs. Carmody starting a cult. It's the sexual tension between Amanda and David. It's David wanting to protect his son and not knowing where his wife is. It's those things, you know? And I mean, that's what kept Twin Peaks... Alive and interesting for as long as 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 it was, were the interpersonal, you know, like like the right. relationships and and the drama between all of that. Because um, once you learn what happened to Laura, you're like eh. most people were like, okay, I'm out. Right, and the difference is that like Twin Peaks uh, ranges more. Like you're you're yeah. in different locations. Bottle episode of like any sort of bottle thing is like it's 12 angry men right you're in one location the, the it's, it's the thing yeah. for, more, more or less you're in the supermarket yeah for sure so it's it's yeah you have to have a certain number of people and they have to be stuck in one spot um like the thing almost doesn't count because they do move right around but um it's close enough gotcha so you build the tension by having things happen between people and despite the context yeah like the context is the driving force of why they're there, but it doesn't have anything to do with it explicitly, right? Yeah. So when you shoot those, you don't do this like mockumentary style filmmaking. It's so weird. Like it looks like an episode of The Office. It does, yeah. So I mentioned, uh, so here's another thing that looked like shit. The CGI. Yeah. Good fucking God, those tentacles are terrible. The creatures look awful. 
you know what else? Like I said, you know what else came out this year? Sunshine. You know what looks amazing? Sunshine. Sunshine. Granted, it costs $20 million more, but fuck, dude. Yeah. Guess what came out the year before? We've covered it before. The Host. The Host is a way better version of this. Guess how much The Host cost? Less? Seven million less. It had an $11 million budget. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> the execution of this was just so... Like, like, what were you spending your money on? I don't know. That's like... the Was... Did you pay all of these actors a shit ton of money? Like, I don't... Like, is Thomas Jane pulling down mad stacks? I I don't know. Now, I know Stephen King notoriously, like, takes... He already fucks the budget up. Mm. He takes way too much money to use his name. Mm. Way, way too much money. So, I might might have just been that, that they just didn't have anything left over. Because um, I was listening to somebody talk about... I was in a podcast about The Green Mile recently, and the same thing happened there. The movie does not look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because King took, like, half the budget for himself. Gotcha. Uh, which is fucked up. That's, like... Don't take all the money out of the movie and then insist that the movie is bad. Yeah. Yeah, it makes... It, it, it definitely gives off the wrong idea. Right, it's all it's always a cash grab with him, yeah. Which is why I don't love him. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons, anyway. So, that's kind of my just the the visual effects. That's sort of what's going on here. Um, like, yeah, when you shoot a bottle episode, when you shoot like a tiny location, you don't want to keep zooming in and out and around because it gives you whiplash and it doesn't it it gives the wrong type of tension. I wanted to turn it off when it started doing that. Yeah. I was like, I uh, no. But that's the that's the problem is that you need static shots and close ups. You need two shots. You need reverses. You need all these different things. Sure, the camera's already going to be moving around mm-hmm. to capture the different moments. Yeah, don't whip it around. That right. doesn't do anything for you. Yeah, that's great in a in a movie like Star Trek. It works really well in Star Trek. It works really well in uh, uh, Cloverfield. Uh, and I'm naming Abrams specifically because it's a very specific type of zoom and whip pan. That he does, and then zoom back out. Yeah, and... But that works at a distance. It doesn't work in close. Yeah, and it almost felt like... It almost... uh, Maybe it was... Mostly it probably was just lazy cinematography or just not knowing what you're doing. I think it's the opposite. I think it's overactive cinematography. I just think he should have been lazy. Take the day off, man. Like this this place, set the cameras and go home. Yeah, so maybe maybe it is more of this then, but it almost felt like a a tool that they were attempting to utilize to make you feel unsettled and thrown off, which there are yeah. so many better ways to do that. We talk about that the cast all the alone, time. They're good enough actors. We talk about this all the time on 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 here about certain ways that people in subtle ways. It's always subtle, but enough to be noticed mm-hmm. where the lighting or or sometimes the cinematography, if the storyline and if it makes sense, you know, yeah, just doing something very small and subtle to throw your audience off, meaning make them uncomfortable without them really knowing it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's certain you like, create music an, you, tones or certain yeah. types of shots. Yeah. You create an unsettling environment and right. allow your audience to enter that environment. This almost felt like a an attempt at that to me, but like, yeah. Too heavy-handed, didn't work. Yikes. It's just rough. It's just rough. Um, yeah, and so it's it's just... It's the cinematography and it's the editing to me, yeah. for me. So Stephen King 
is is notorious for the length of his stories. Mm-hmm. Good God, that man needs to just listen to an editor. I don't need seven pages on a fucking lamp, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen. But it's this movie has the same problem, um, which is why it's a Faithful King adaptation uh, because it, it needed more editing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the pace doesn't make sense to me. It's too long by half an hour. Mm-hmm. Like it's over two hours long. It's like two hours and six minutes. Yeah. It did not need that much time to tell this story. Cut things out. Drop storylines. Move faster. Like that's it. And you you never say that. So when you're saying that. It's real. I say it when it's important, like when I and it actually matters. Like I don't mind a meditation. I love meditative films. I like living in those moments, and that's good sometimes for tension. Like letting you stew, like that's a good editing decision, right? Letting mm-hmm. you stew in something, and you can have moments to let this stew, and still like feel the tension. Like have no dialogue for mm-hmm. thirty seconds. That'll make me feel tense. Yep. But tighter editing between shots, not spending all this time doing zoom in, whip, pan, zoom out, Ugh. and making the audience sick, and, and like focusing on different things. Like it, the focus is wrong. Focus. Mrs. Carmody is the most terrifying part of this mm-hmm. because she represents like this. Chris and I were talking about true believers versus power seekers last night, right? Yeah. And it. And if you don't know, Stephen King is a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. His whole life, he's been a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously got a different view on that than some people do, but mm-hmm. he, he is a true believer. Right. He is also very critical of Christianity. So like we see in Carrie, we see in, uh, uh, Salem's lot. We see it in this, we see it in, uh, um, uh, lots of other ones. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> My brains, there's so many Stephen King books. So he uses religious figures often as villains in his films mm-hmm. or in his, in his books. Mm-hmm. So having Mrs. Carmody as the the uh, Marsha Gay Harden as the uh, the doomsaying cult leading prophet mm-hmm. is saying you have to be cautious with your uh, belief. Oh, Children of the Corn has the same message, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's being cautious with the type of faith you have. She is fully faithful in her belief or in like what she believes, but what she believes has become perverted, right? Yeah, and it's the same thing in Children of the Corn, mm-hmm. um, and so. That's what makes her terrifying. Mm-hmm. The monsters, you know, it, he does the oh, the monsters really people sometimes thing, mm-hmm. or beware of religion because he's scared of it because he believes it's literally real and he finds fear in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's just focusing on they. There's no focus. I think is the problem with this. Like again, yeah. story is good, structure is solid. It's just it spends too much time languishing in pretty like nothing dialogue. Mm-hmm. That we don't need yep. all of. Like I said, or I did say earlier that the dialogue is solid and does what it's supposed to do. And it does. There's just too much of it. Yeah. And I think my problem is, is that there are just, there are so many movies that do this idea better. Um, yeah. Like I said, the host and then the fog. It's almost like, you know, um, <laughs> you know, when Halloween costumes can't use the name, like if it's a Harley Quinn. Sure. Um, yeah. And you they know, say costume, crazy clown say crazy person. Crazy clown lady or whatever. Or sexy, sexy clown. Sexy yeah. crazy clown lady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like that. Like the fog. It's like the off brand. The better val. The best. Is it best value or better value for at the supermarket? 
I think it's like I think it's like better value, best value, something like yeah, that. great the value, on, yeah, yeah, great yeah. value, great value. The That's... the the, the, the on the uh, own <laughs> brands is what yeah. I would call them. Yeah, it's the great value, the fog or the yeah. host. It's yeah. like the mist. <laughs> I forgot to mention. You know what else had the same budget as this and came out a year before? What? Pan's Labyrinth, which is. A oh, visually that's a, stunning movie. That's a shame. I that's, don't want to know that fact. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts, right? That does hurt. Del Toro's like, oh, this movie that's like mostly CGI and mocap, and it looks so much better. <laughs> yeah, I did not want to know that. Oh, God. Yikes. That makes this that much worse. Yeah, sorry. I forgot to mention I had that in my notes. I was looking all this up last night. But yeah, I, I this is this is just a rough movie because of all, all of that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's it's a tough watch and it's a shame because this could have been a really good adaptation. It really could have been. Um, I, think... I mean, Thomas Jane has no charisma, right? He, yeah. He's, he's Chris Evans without the charisma. Yeah. And like Chris Evans, you just like immediately, you're on his side. You like him. You, you root for the guy, right? Right. And um, I, if you remade this, I would absolutely cast him as as David. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, it's it's one of those things of I think this is one of the most adaptable Stephen King stories. Totally, again, because it, it is so short and it relatively really, speaking. Yeah, and it really does follow such a typical horror movie plot line that this could have easily been like a I know this sounds like an oxymoron but like a comforting horror film in the way that it's predictable like you know you know what's gonna you know what's gonna happen so if you're a horror fan I would say that I would say that we have ones that that we have to emotionally prepare to watch and then we have ones that we can kind of just throw on and be like be like oh this is really fun like Evil Dead for us yeah not not the remake the remake's a little tougher but the um, or the reboot whatever you want to call it Um, yeah it's it's a sequel reboot yeah Remake. But the classic <laughs> Evil Dead, like Ash versus yeah, one Evil or Dead, two. or like yeah. yeah, one or two, that I would say is like a comfort watch. Um, yeah, that's a matzo ball suit. You can throw it on. Yeah, but like so. But this audition, one, I've got to get ready for. <laughs> I will never watch that movie again. I love ever that again. movie so much; it's so good. I will never watch it again. Um, it's terrifying. Uh, but it's like so good though. <laughs> so this could have easily been one of those if it had just been a little bit better like i that sounds so so remedial to say but like i think even if with just some minor tweaks it could have really been that like it could have been one of those movies where you're like it's dumb but it's fun but it's just it's not even really fun for me because the cinematography is so distracting and the editing is so bad yeah uh, non-existent yeah yeah or i mean obviously it is because they didn't just shoot two hours and got every everything in one cut take (laughs) (laughs) but it's just Um, bad yeah, so I, I, yeah, it's just, it's it's tough because I really want to like this movie because, again, the story is there. The acting is there. Again, mm-hmm. a change your leading man, but, like, yeah. that it, it's all there. They it's cast just, great people, really. Yeah, and they all give really good performances. Mm-hmm. Again, Thomas Jane's the weak point, and even then, he's not bad. He's just, yeah, he's 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 nothing, you know? He's, yeah. he's popcorn. Right. But it's, yeah. Everybody else is amazing in this, and it's just so close to being good. It feels phoned in on Darabont's end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what it was. It's like it feels like he didn't direct this because mm-hmm. everything else he directs at least feels like there's effort put into it. Yeah, it at least feels like he tried. I wonder this if it is, really was a budget thing then. You know what I mean? I wonder. Yeah, like because again, because I know that King uh, consistently just like steals money from the. <laughs> Like you, you shouldn't be. He shouldn't be getting twenty million dollars. You know, like that's ridiculous. Right. 
you have the money, fuck off. I know. I'm like, if you're if you've already written a book and the books sell, and he's he's been on bestseller lists for decades, forty some years, forty five years. <laughs> so yeah, when you when you get your films adapted or your stories um, adapted into films, and like what. Do you really need that that much more? Yeah. Do you need, do you need to be the biggest part of the budget? Yeah. You know, like or the biggest line item. That's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of good in this movie, and I think I don't know. I it, I don't like the c- continued attempts at adaptation. I also am realizing more and more that I just don't like King. Mm-hmm. I I want to, but my favorite King things are things that he hates. Right. Because they are so different than his books. Like, I love The Shining. I don't need to read that book because I know that the book is way different and all this, like, meditation on... It, it's all lore. Like, yeah. The Shining, right? The Danny has The Shining, and that's mm-hmm. why Carrie also has The Shining. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, uh, The Shining is a universe. This is also in a universe as well. And I think he, mm-hmm. he, he just wants to do these, like, epics. And it's just, you know, get in and get out, man. Like... I, that's not for everybody. Not everybody agrees with us on that, but I am very much a like a, a ninety minute comedy kind of guy. You know, like mm. give me ninety minutes of goodness and stop. Yeah, I don't. I don't need in a movie, especially. I don't need all of that lore. I feel like it should be an unspoken. Like it informs. It informs the environment and it, it and it informs the performance. Yeah. But I really like if, if he I, I actually don't know why he doesn't like The Shining or um, Carrie as a film adaptation. But if it's because they cut a lot of his, you know, background and lore, it we really don't need that. We we need um, we need that to inform things. But. We don't need to be spoon-fed exactly what's happening because, again, the reason why people watch and rewatch movies a lot of the time, not all the time, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for everyone, is sometimes you finish a movie and you're left with more questions than answers. And some people are excited by that. And if you sp- spoon-feed things to people, then you don't leave that space. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to for me is... Knowing what to focus on is such an important part of adaptation. We talk we yeah. talk about a lot of adaptations mm-hmm. because a lot of horror is adaptations. And I think that this is, I think being faithful in an adaptation is typically a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And I've said that before. I love the Lord of the Rings films. And yeah, they're extremely faithful. They also change the right things. Mm-hmm. I love the books. I have multiple Tolkien tattoos. I have read The Hobbit no fewer than 15 times. Like... I am very down for a faithful adaptation. I'm also down for changing the right things. Th- yeah. There's sometimes your things don't work in print that work in film and vice versa. If I were to, I, I don't like novelizations of movies, but it's, if, if you were adapting some, like a, a movie or a television show into a book, then do, then you would have to change other shit is what I'm saying. Right. It works in both yeah. directions, but I think too often, People who are adapting popular books or comics or or whatever get too worried about the fan base and the creator's intent. Yeah. I am very anti-authorial intent. 
generally speaking, mm-hmm. when it comes to interpreting works. And so it, it's it's knowing how to read towards film. Yeah. And knowing how to make film that captures the essence, the spirit of the thing without without being like completely like to the letter faithful, yeah, right? And I, uh, yeah, and I think people would benefit from just understanding that they are two very, very different art forms. And yeah, it's, it, it's not always going to be a perfect, it's almost never going to be a perfect adaptation. And that's okay. I Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, they should, they are related, obviously, but they should be able to stand on their own and again yeah i think if you're too focused on the acceptance and of the fans and the acceptance of the original creators then you're you're doing you're doing a disservice like there can be non-negotiables for sure with creators and that's fine that's something you discuss yeah that's that's Um, what contracts are for but if someone's telling you to word for word spell things out for everyone and you know follow the book letter by letter, then I I just, where's the fun in that? I don't know. I don't think that that shows any, why would the movie have to exist if it's letter for letter the book? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I think it should be two separate experiences that if you are interested in whatever topic the book slash movie is covering, or, you know, like it, it, it's exciting for you, then you should be able to enjoy both, but they're separate entities. Why would you yeah. need, you know? It's also super arrogant to say that you're everything you, you that you got everything perfect the first time. That's so arrogant. Like, and yeah. for example, for example, in the book It, there is the way that they, def- one of the ways in which they defeat Pennywise when they're mm-hmm. kids is a fucking child orgy. Oh. They all, like... They all fuck the one girl in the group. Oh. In a row. Oh. And that is how they lose their innocence. That's a bad idea, Steven. That's I knew, bad. I knew this, but every single time it's I'm reminded of it, it's it's a new it's, it's a new horrifying, horrifying not mental a good way. journey. Yeah, that's uh, but no, it's not it's not in any of the adaptations. You know why? Because it's a bad so fucking many idea. Just so every many reason. Yeah, there's so many reasons. <laughs> there's why no that. reasons to have it in the first place. Yeah. And don't have that idea. And if you do have that idea, don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> yeah. That is, you go to the grave with that shit. You do not express that out loud. Not even to your therapist. Like That's a per- that's a perfect example. Um honestly, I don't think I could have ever come up with a better one cuz yeah, like yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um yeah, but like it, it's so like look at it this way. And going back to like the the way stories are told and how they're adapted, this movie which does too much and feels way too long and edited badly is two hours and six minutes. And we said, good God, cut good, like 15, 20 minutes out of this. And you're, you're much better. Yeah. The shining is two and a half hours long, Mm -hmm. but it works. It uses that Mm -hmm. in such a better way. It uses that space, right? It gives itself space to breathe and build tension and like in the isolation. Yeah. Because you're not going to immediately feel um, as we all probably know, if, you know, living through uh, 2020, we all know that at first isolation is nice. It's fun. You're throwing a ball against the eh, wall. You're hanging around. You're doing fun. goofy shit. And then 
you need the time for that loneliness to simmer. And mm-hmm. then as the loneliness simmers, it starts to boil over. Right. So The Shining takes that time and is very um, deliberate about the way it doesn't meander. Mm-hmm. It's very deliberate about how it shows you the timeline of isolation, at least for these people. He does the same thing in um, um, 2001. 2001 is a long fucking movie, but it doesn't feel like it. The Shining doesn't feel like it because the pace is there. Even if there's not even cuts, the pace is right. And it's what it's supposed to feel like. Sunshine is the same way for me. I know you disagree on that, but I think Sunshine is really good with how long it takes. I think it just had a few missteps. Sure. Uh, but and most people agree with you. I know I'm in the minor- minority here. I think it's one of the, my favorite movies. But yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, but I, it's the it's there are movies that need to be like Austin Powers. Right, is 90 minutes on the fucking dot. It's yeah. perfect. It mm-hmm. does one, two, three. Jokes with the whole time. Tells a story. Gets out. Have a fun, randy old time. <laughs> Do I make you horny, baby? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna watch those movies again. They're so good. Um, Goldmember is not as good as I remember it. It's fine still. Yeah. It's just not as good. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it, it's just thinking about editing and thinking about pacing. This is just one of those that's it. It just needed to be. I don't know. There's so many things that could fix it, and they're all small. You know. Like, yeah. do less in the cinematography. You yeah. don't have to go that hard. I'm sure that that costs a lot of money to do, too, because you're pulling lots of days to set those shots up. Like, you can't... You, those shots take a long time to set up and execute correctly. Yeah. And so that probably cost a shit ton of money, too. So you just keep eating into this budget for no reason. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. I mean, yeah. and and that, that really wraps up my closing thought on this, too. Like, that yeah. is exactly how I feel about it is that it could have done less or just put all of that effort into something else. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's just, it it is again, an an intriguing story. I love the Shakespearean end of it. I love, I love the idea behind it and I love the acting and the cast that they put together, but the technical side of the execution of it was just lacking 120%. Yeah, and I think that's what it's sort of, you know, we've talked about this before where we're like, oh man, the technique is amazing. Performance is yikes. Yeah. Um, this is the, this is the inverse, right? Mm-hmm. I did want to just throw out real quick that this inspired one of uh, two of my favorite games, uh, the Half-Life series. So uh, Half-Life and Half-Life 2, and there's, there's more after that, but... Um, um, those two games were inspired by this because it's the government opening up its portal to another dimension mm. uh, and weird, creepy, terrifying monsters come out. Nice. It's funny. This is clearly a nod to Lovecraft. Yeah. Right? Like this is mm-hmm. Elder Gods sort of shit. Stephen King could never be H.P. Lovecraft. I'm going to say no. it right now. Stephen King is a, a middle of the road writer. I, I think he is fine and needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> in his yep. in his books, right? Like it's it's kind of like this is like a limp dicked uh, neoliberalism anti like mildly anti imperialist, but not really. Like it's just very limp limp in its attempts, right? Mm-hmm. And I get it, and that's good. Those are good things to critique, but this it was just sort of like eh, you kind of like thought about throwing a punch. You didn't really throw a punch. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of the note I'm going to end on. Yeah. Sorry that this movie was a disappointment, but hey, we've done another Stephen King you know, adaptation. You know, you can't you can't win them all. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a website, horrorbabespod.com. Mm-hmm. If you're liking us, if you're enjoying this podcast, then go ahead and give us a review or a rating on iTunes, please. We really it appreciate really it. It is very helpful. Um, and yeah, our DMs are always open. If you have any requests, anything at all, uh, we are constantly on Instagram and Twitter. So uh, let us know. And yeah, as we'll... our brains rot away. Exactly, as, as we rot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Yeah, babe.